Everyone knows how Romeo and Juliet ends, and yet we still cry when they die. The same is true for the first two Torah portions that we read this week, Pashas Chukas and Bolon. And so in this portion, we learn that Moshe Rabbeinu will not enter the promised land. We've heard this story every year, and yet, as we listen to the laning, we are upset or angry. On the threshold, Moshe Rabbeinu is denied admission to the land to which he has been leading the Israelites for 40 years. Every year we plow through the many possible explanations for the Rabboni Shalolim's decision to disallow Moshe Rabbeinu into Eretz Canaan. And every year they don't satisfy. <laughs> they just don't satisfy. Readers of Torah and the commentators in all ages and generations have tried to understand precisely what caused Moshe and Aaron to lose their privilege to enter Eretz Yisrael. I remember as a child hearing that the story was a simple punishment, much like the ones my own parents might have given to me or my twin sister when we did something wrong. Moshe was told to speak to the rock. Instead, he hit the rock. Not once, but twice. Therefore, God punished him. Is this really a punishment fitting the crime? At the same time, a closer reading of this final part identifies the reason as a lack of faith and a failure to sanctify me in front of the people. And the Medrash tells us, it fleshes that out, was there not an earlier case when Moshe showed a lack of faith, even one more severe than this? Do we not all have such moments where actions might not demonstrate just blind faith? Would we expect to have our lifelong goals and aspirations erased because of one single moment of infraction when so many other times we live our lives in the faith of God and holiness? And how are we to know exactly what moment of question might be the one that seals our fate, ending our dreams and goals? And that's what I'd like to focus on today. What was exactly was so terrible about Moshe and Aaron's actions that it warranted a, such a severe punishment? Consumed with trying to uncover the exact nature of their offense, the medieval commentators find no less than 10 explanations focusing on three separate areas, three aspects of the biblical account. Number one, the action in hitting the rock instead of talking to it, even hitting it twice, and even the specific rock he chose. The character flaws Moshe demonstrated in this entire parsha that's number two, his temper, is running to the Oel Moed, ignoring the people's thirst. And three, the specific words Moshe used in addressing the people, questioning God, doubting God, calling the people rebels, and not being specific about who the we was who would bring forth the water. Those are the three areas that spread out among 
the commentators and cause 10 different explanations as to the sin of Moshe. I'm just going to give you a short menu of them. First of all, let's look at Rashi. Of course, we must look at Rashi. Vayakilu Moshe Vaaron etakahal el hasela in front of the rock. Vayom Elohim Shimonu HaMorim. Now listen, you Morim, you rebels. Hamin hasela hazeh notzi lachem maim. Can we draw water for you from this rock? Remember, it stopped watering from the rock after the death of Miriam. Now listen to Rashi. Shall we draw water from this rock? They didn't recognize it. Why? Because the seller went and went back to its group. It had been singled out. It was Miriam's seller. When she dies, it goes back to among the other rocks when the well departed. So the Israelites said, How do you know which rock we should draw water from? You don't know what Miriam's rock is. And he, see how the Rashi quoting the Medrash Rabbah and Medrash Tanhuma fills in the gap. The gap is what happened between the statement Vayakilu Moshe Baron El Hakahal El Sela. There should be dot 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 dot. The Medrash then fills in what they said in response to which Vayom Elohem Shimu Nohamorim, because that's not a response to Vayakilu Moshe. Vayakilu Moshe means everyone gathered up and met with them. Doesn't say what they said. So the Medrash fills in what they said. How do you know which rock to 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 talk to? And then he says, Shimuno Amor Hamin Asela Hazer. He's pointing to, can we draw water from this rock, which we were not commanded to? What are you telling us which rock to? So he raises his hand and he strikes the seller Bamateu Pamaim. Rashi's bothered. Why twice? Hit it once. So Rashi, the game brings Natan Humer. He hit it twice because he wasn't commanded to hit it. He was commanded to speak to it. And they spoke to a rock, but it wasn't the right rock. It was the wrong rock and nothing came out. And so they said, Maybe we should give him a second clap. So they hit the rock and it, it struck. In the beginning, it only came forth tipin tipin, little drops. Little drops came out. So he hit it twice. So for Rashi, Rashi's point and his direction, where he's leading us to, because there are 10 other explanations, and Rashi chooses this Tanhuma. Why? Why is Rashi choosing this Medrash, not this Medrash? If you had spoken to the rock and it had brought forth water, I wouldn't have been sanctified in the eyes of the congregation. And they would have said, if this rock, which doesn't speak and doesn't hear and doesn't require sustenance, fulfills the word of God, then certainly we should as well. 
So for Rashi, we have read over the people's complaining and their questioning of God's plan. So Rashi understands the punishment to result from Moshe's failure to speak to the rock, which would have convinced the people to follow God. Rambam, on the other hand, contends that Moshe sinned in becoming angry. It was his caste, is his anger in admonishing the complaining people. The sin of anger was compounded because the people assumed that whatever Moshe said was a reflection of God's will. And if Moshe was angry with them, God too must be angry with them. But there's no evidence of God's anger with the people. Therefore, implies Rambam, Moshe is culpable for the outcry that would follow. Interesting, because in halacha, if a person is bakas, nishtakach mehem halacha, he'll forget the halacha. So, and we learn from this, we learn from this, that you have to be very even keeled when you're paskining shilas. The Ramban, Nachmanides, 13th century, understands Moshe Rabbeinu's rhetorical questions. Hamina Sela shall we get water for you? Implying that Moshe Nara had the power to bring forth the water. So he should have said, Should God bring forth the water? It wasn't Moshe and Aaron, they were just the agents of the divine. So for the Ramban, the sin of Moshe was not to ascribe agency to the divine. And that was the Kiddush Hashem. You didn't sanctify my name. So many and so diverse are the attempts at explanations that some have even given up. And the Shadal, Shmuel David Lutzato, 19th century, writes, Moses sinned one sin and the commentators loaded 13 sins and more. For each of them invented a new sin. Therefore, all my days, the Shadal says, I have refrained from deep investigation of this matter out of fear that I might come up with a new explanation. And I too would find myself adding a new sin to Moshe Rabbeinu's list. Rather than assign the wrong understanding to God's decree, the Shadal stops asking the very question. Now, the Ibn Ezra explains that Moshe was supposed to hit the rock only once, and the water would have flowed. The problem was that Moshe got angry, so he didn't hit the rock once like he was supposed to. And in order for the water to actually issue forth, he was forced to hit it a second time correctly. The necessity to hit it twice was a desecration of God's name. The Abarbanel, interestingly, takes issue with all the above explanations that I've given you, pointing out that the flaws in each one. And his concern is, he's very long-winded, as we know, whichever one way one learns the story, Moshe and Aaron's sin was not enough to warrant them being barred into the entry of the land. Now he takes a unique approach to explain that, saying that Moshe and Aaron's sin was not particularly terribly. They, made, they just made a mistake. However, God did not want them entering the land for other reasons. Moshe, because he sent the spies, Aaron, because of his involvement in the sin of the golden calf, and God wanted to protect Moshe and Aaron's honor, so he pretended that the rock was the reason for their punishment to cover up the true reason. The rocket shovel gone, I have to end with, because it is so halachic 
Reb Joseph Rosen, who's a total Gaon, Rogachov a Gaon, he provides a fascinating alternative explanation. Now, in order to understand the Rogachov a Gaon, you have to understand, for him, in addition to drinking the water of the well, the Jews needed the water of the well as a mikveh. <laughs> A ritual immersion pool. The laws of Nida, ritual purity, dictate that once a month, a woman has to go to the mikveh. And one of the many laws of the mikveh states that when drawing water from a stream or a well to a mikveh, any tool that is susceptible to becoming tome may not be used. So only vessels that could never become impure, like stone, may be used in the she'eva, in the drawing of the water. So as you will see when you go to the mikveh, there's no pipes. It's all coming through stonework. Fine, very nice. Now the Rogachov explains that Moses' sin was he took the wrong stick. God wanted him to hit the rock with his own stick, but in his humility, got Moshe thought it was Aaron's stick. Now, any tool that is susceptible to becoming Tomei makes the mikveh impure. So whereas Moshe's stick was made of precious stone, Aaron's was made of wood, and wood is susceptible to tumor. And so when Moshe hits the rock with Aaron's stick, the water that flows from the rock was not kosher for a mikveh. A very unique way of looking at the sin. Very halachic. If we go to the Medrash, I want to share with you an interesting medrash, Dova Acha, this is from the medrash uh, Yalkut. What was the original reason for the removal of the well, which was Miriam's miracle? Remember, Moshe's miracle was the Mon, Aaron was the Anani HaKovod, and Miriam's was the well. Well, okay, she died, but let the well continue. Why let them go thirsty? The Medrash has a very interesting psychological point. The reason that the well stopped producing water, the rock and the well are the same synonymous, Be'er and Evan, was so that the Am Yisrael would realize that it was in her zchus that it happened. The Yitztaru Aleho Rabim so that they would be after the loss of Miriam, and they would be Golel Chesed, meaning the greatest Chesed one can do is to the dead. So when Miriam died, and Moses and Aaron are busy, busy in the old Moed, and Yisrael is seeking water, and, and they don't find it, so they come yelling and screaming at Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe says, Aaron, what's going on? The whole rabble is coming up. We have a, a January 6th insurrection going on here. Aaron always seeks. He's the Kedushas Levi of his time. Levi Yitzhak of Berdichev. He's always seeking. These are the children of Aaron Yitzhak and Yaakov. They're Gomel Chasodim B'nei Gomel Chasodim. 
So Moshe, this, listen to this dialogue that's going on. The rebel is trying to attack, and he's selling to them. Moshe says to them, Can't you tell the difference between a kinus and a kinus? There are two types. One is a rebel, an insurrection, a, a riot, and the other is a peaceful march. This isn't a kinus that's appropriate, takin, but it's a kinus that is makalkel. It only has ulterior bad motives. And I know the difference between the two, because when I see a proper kinus, I see that their leaders, by, at the head of them, the sorry alofim, sorry may they all come in their hierarchy. By Yarev Moshe, and so he sees that they don't have that quality, and that their faces were angry. And the medrash says this is what caused the response. So the medrash, based on the four expressions of God's rebuke, the medrash learns that Moshe was culpable for four sins because of the four rebukes. He hit the rock when he should have spoken to it. He should have brought water from all the other rocks as well. He said, can we draw water for you from the rock? And God wanted him to say words of Torah over the rock, and he did not. Now, what does that mean, words of Torah? What's that got to do with the price of fish? For that, we have to go to the Nitziv. The Nitziv has a very original reading of what the rock was and what its function was. And the Nitziv says, and speak to the rock, the Nitziv says, this does not mean that they should speak to the rock and command it to issue forth water, for the rock lacks the faculty of hearing. The Nitziv says the following, the sin lay in Moshe's failure to do God's command, and there's no need to look for some kind of ulterior intrinsic dimension. The sin was poshut. Moshe violated God's command, speak to the rock. Why? And listen to him in translation. When the rock stopped issuing forth water, it was not because of the miraculous governance had come to an end. Rather, it was like God withholding rain because of the sin of the generation. Now, we know from Chazal, we know from the Torah, from Novi, that when there was a drought, all Am Yisrael would assemble in one place, even not in the temple, the site of the sacrifices and the revelation of the Shekhinah. And the leader of the people addresses them with toichacha, with musa, with words of admonition. Then they would pray together, as we're told in the Gemara in Tainus. So here this interesting Nitziv. God wanted Moshe and Aaron to teach the people how to behave in future generations, because now they were coming into Eretz Yisrael. And as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, in the Nitziv's introduction to Bar Midbar, Sefer Pekudim, the whole of the Sefer is a transition from a wilderness-based miraculous experience to preparing them to Knesset Yisrael, to going into Eretz Yisrael where everything is natural and the miracles are hidden. And God wanted Moshe and Aaron to teach the people how to behave in future generations in Eretz Yisrael. 
and to believe that even without the strength and might of Moshe and without the miracles and without the hitting of the rock, they can act using communal prayer and learning and davening. And therefore he commanded them to assemble the congregation at the rock to teach them something new about their relationship with the divine. Moshe was supposed to convene a prayer rally in the wake of the water shortage, based on the understanding that when there is a, such a shorting, the fitting solution is speaking directly to God. A new way, a new approach, no intermediary. This idea was pertinent not only in the days of Chazal, but throughout the ages. The elders of Jerusalem in the medieval period would say, when the water systems began to empty in the month of Tammuz, our month, the only solution available was to say to Hillim. So too at May Mariva, a mass prayer rally should have been arranged in the wake of the water shortage. And I think that for the Nitziv, we can learn the following. Man suffers with an inherent problem. He's a material being, and he cannot come sufficiently close to him. And the, that fact leads to failure and sin. Secondly, man suffers with another inherent problem, that of autonomy, and therefore has a certain difficulty in accepting someone else's authority. And lastly is the matter of prayer. In the wake of the Natsiv's interpretation of the whole episode, we can say that prayer belongs naturally to the world of miracles. In the wilderness, the people of Israel lived in the world that was entirely miraculous. Manna came down from them from heaven, and there were clouds of glory, the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, all these miracles. In such a world, the existential feeling of dependence on God was clear, and prayer as an expression of this feeling was easy. In contrast, in Eretz Yisrael, in Galut, in our life, when God's governance becomes more natural or even hidden, as in our times, prayer becomes more difficult. In a natural world where everything is clear and orderly, there's entropy, there's the laws of physics, there's crime and punishment, and everything occurs in, in a clear and orderly way, it's much more difficult to feel the existential dependence on God. Very nice. Let's go a little bit deeper now, ladies and gentlemen. Why did he hit it twice? Rashi tells us, uh, What's really going on here? The cellar isn't the cellar. The cellar is our heart, our heart of rock, our heart of flesh. What is the tipin tipin? He hits it once and out comes tiny, tiny little drops. And the zoyar, the tikune zoyar, medieval work, tikkun number 21, says the following. When Moshe hit the rock, Palm Rishona, Lo Yotsu Mayim Rabim, didn't come out, garnished, Elotipos Tipos, droplets. And the reason is because on the first whack, Moshe Rabbeinu Gorom Zivuk de Yesoid de Katnas, Shehu Soida Mater. He says something very interesting. Moshe Rabbeinu is the Shushvina de Malka. He is the matchmaker, and his job is to bring the Shechina back to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Everything we do is Shechina consciousness in the Zoya. So the Zoya is telling us what's going on here. 
isn't just happening once in history, it's happening all the time. And that we have in ourselves a Bechina of Moshe. And so we have two choices. We can settle for the lower choice or the higher choice. Of course, it's easier to settle for the lower choice. The soid hamate, to whack, sometimes you want to get what you want by force. You don't want to have to go through the long negotiating process. So he does a zivuk, he gets the results. You want water? I got your water. And he whacks it with the stick. It's much easier to whack than to negotiate. So out comes tipos, tipos. That's very small amounts of water, which means cutness, meaning that we have a small-minded God consciousness versus godless, which is a large-minded God consciousness. And now he says the small God consciousness, that's all the tipos, tipos. When you have to paskin and shine, you have to go into it and you have to go into the original and then you have to work out all the peripherals and how it applies to your particular time. It's tipos, tipos. It doesn't come in this one glorious emancipated vision of the divine. The divine has to be schlepped down and horrified with Torah Shabal Peh. Look how the, how the Zoya looks at Torah Shabal Peh. It's called katnas. And that's why people argue about halachas. That's why we sit in the base of Medrash and everyone's screaming at each other. The machloikas, of course, it's L'shem Shemayim, we're trying to work out what is the divine will in this particular situation, but it's still machloikas. Uman Gorim is a machloikas. So who caused all this? Because the Talmud, it's beginners katnas. The Talmud who's learning is in a small mighty state. He needs to expand it to understand the halacha. Dazzling idea. It came out tipping, tipping precisely because it was hit. You're satisfied for a lower level of Yichud. But in Lomahaba, if he'd only spoken to the rock, if we'd only spoken to our hearts of darkness, the inner child that is. That, that was abused, that was struck and hit with the stick. <laughs> he would have made a yichud with the shechina and the Kodesh Baruch Hu, with the upper hay of the Yudke Vavke, not the lower hay. And the whole light would have descended. And the Torah Shabal Peh would have been made expansive and understood. The EU seller, but also how you learned them is a Torah, Beli, Shum, Torah, Vakushia, Machlokas. Dazzling. They would have learned Torah forever. Because of that, you didn't sanctify my name. You settled for the lower level of Yichud. You settled for a, an infantile, child look view of Am Yisrael that you had to give them a hak in the Cheder to stop them with the Gemara instead of opening up their minds to a wider expansive. And then the Zoya later in Raya Mehemna, it's a really tragic Zoya because who is the Raya Mehemna in the Zoya? 
the Bala Zoya is putting in the words of Moshe. Raya Mehemna is the faithful shepherd. So he's talking in the first person. It's a Zoya, but it, the Zoya says, Moshe Rabbein is talking. East Evan, the East Evan. There are two types of rocks. There are two types of stones. One is up in Atzilus and one is lower down in Bria. Yesh Evan shall shame Havaya. There's an Evan of the name Yudke Vovke, Shiyam Malchus, the Shehim Olam Atzilus. And what was my mistake? My mistake, he says, I made the mistake. There are mitzvahs that are dependent on speech, and there are mitzvahs that are dependent on action. Maaseya mitzvahs. And I settled for the Maaseya mitzvahs. I was trying to mishabes aklipas. I felt that Am Yisrael needed that fracturing like a Rebbe beats. I was beating that Evan, but it was the wrong Evan. It was the Evan of the heart of the lower Malchus, not the higher Malchus. It's a dazzling Medrash in which tragically Moshe is taking on responsibility. Now, notwithstanding all the above explanations, one thing remains clear. Why did Moshe the Tzaddik disobey Hashem? And the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe spins it in such a way that I have to call this podcast the good sin based on his Torah. And his Torah is as follows. He revolutionized the entire story, casting it in the light of Chabad Hasidus, of course. He quotes my Tikkun Zoya, says, the rock represents Torah. Had Moshe spoken and not hit the rock, the Jews would not have to toil in Torah for the rest of Golas. Moshe's hitting the rock caused the Torah to descend from its place of purity, exaltedness, that's Olomatzilus, descend into the false world of the lower hay of Malchus, the blotter. Striking the rock caused the Torah's light to become concealed, making it difficult to connect with God. Had Moshe spoken to the rock as he was commanded, the waters of Torah would come out free and flowing. One would not need to toil and struggle to understand Torah, for its light would shine openly and simply. Had Moshe spoken to the rock, the Jews would see getlichkeit. It's a very Chabad expression. They would see godliness in everything, open and connect with God easily. Nevertheless, he struck the rock because he recognized. Now, here's the positive spin. In the Raya Mehemna, Moshe takes responsibility, but the Rebbe Rashab doesn't allow him off the hook. He says he's a tzaddik. It's not possible that the tzaddik could be wrong. He struck the rock because he recognized that only if the Jews would horror and struggle in Torah Shabbat in their connection to God and his Torah, could it feel real. The heart of darkness. Something comes easy, LSD, cocaine. Many patients of mine tell me that they experience the divine, but the price is too heavy. If everything were to come easy, there would be never a genuine connection. The Jews would never break out of their comfort zones and they would never truly become one. God, the Jews loving father, wanted Moshe to speak to the rock. He wanted Torah and God to be easily accessible. We're putting the onus now on the Rabbeinu Shiloilam. Do you see what the Rebbe Rashab is doing? Moshe Rabbeinu understood 
His whole idea was understanding Dvekas and connecting Jews with the Rabboni Shalom. He's the Shushvina the Malka. And he knew that we had to toil to connect. And so he struck the rock. So based on this explanation, we now can understand why it wasn't a punishment that they didn't go into Eretz Yisrael, that they had to die before they could enter the land. It was the first step in fulfillment of Moshe's goal. Moshe and Aaron represented pure godly revelation. Their existence revealed godliness and inspired people to serve him. And like the Nitziv now, living in their presence made it too easy to connect to God. Therefore, Moshe and Aaron could not enter the land so that their own very plan to create a strong bond with Am Yisrael and the Rabon Shlolem could come to fruition through the toil of the land, through the toil of Torah Shabal Peh. So now the Rebbe Rashab tells us that Moshe's sin wasn't a sin at all. It wasn't a rebellion against God. It wasn't even a mistake of God. Moses' sin against God was L'Shem Shemaim for God's sake. Moshe did not listen to God because he knew that were he to disobey him in the long run, that would create a greater unity between Klal Yisrael and the Rabboni Shloim. Which brings me to the Shem Mishmuel. And the Shem Mishmuel, the Socher Chover, the son of the uh, son-in-law of the Avni Nezer says, Yisrael yodu Miriam. Going back to the, the Be'er, that the Be'er was in the Schus of Miriam. Hoyasela, it was a rock. Rashi. As Rashi tells us, it would roll with them. The rock would roll and then it would spout like a, a well. Miriam, when Miriam died, So that the, the well dried up and there was no water. And so they gathered against them to complain. And they started arguing. Why did you bring us to the desert to die? And here the Shem Mishmul now. They felt Moshe had his own miracle. Aaron had his own miracle. Miriam, she had her own unique power. And once she died and it dried up, they wouldn't be able to bring the water out. Rak Miriam Only she had that unique talent to bring the water. So now God says to Moshe, and speak to the rock. as the Gemara in Tainus tells us, the Be'er will come back, not because of Miriam, but because of you two. So speak to it, let the water come back to show the people. So now they're bringing the striking, they're going to the rock and they're going to face it. Well, which seller? They had followed the seller when it went back to go among the rocks. They're standing over there and Moshe and Ar is standing over here over a different rock. What a dazzling Chiddush. The Shem Mishmur is saying that Moshe wanted to teach them 
Not that I'm going back to Miriam's cellar to bring the water, because then you're going to think, well, that's because of Miriam. Okay, she died, but it's her cellar. Let's bring it out. No, I want you to know that I can bring a cellar from another rock. Lo meosa cellar shall Miriam. Kol hakal Everyone's standing over there, and Moshe and Aaron are standing over here. So what was the intent of Moshe? Now here comes real Polish Hasidus through the, the big tzaddik of Kotsk and his son-in-law, the Adnei Nezer, and his son, the Sofotchova. This is typical Polish Hasidus. Hear me out. Das Moshe Rabbeinu lo ki Aaron, he wanted now, after the death of Miriam, liftoach lohem shar chadash. He wanted to open them new gates. Sheyetzim e'osu shar shehu shorosham. Haneis sheyeh lohem mayim esela achash yivchar libidatam. He wanted to show them. Lechol tzadik yesh lo shoyrish achah lasos haneis. It's not tzadik specific. It's not because Miriam is associated with the Selah, which is associated with her water. No, don't, don't get, that's an idolatry. Don't worship the object, worship the source. And I'm teaching you something very new. I'm teaching you something about a tzaddik, that every tzaddik has his own shorosh, and therefore it has to come for them. But why was he punished? So the Sochachova says, because that lesson was too profound and it only triggered another complaint. So he was punished for that, but not for the original intent. I want to end with Rav Hutner. Rav Hutner was a very complex individual. Uh, he grew up in, and uh, learned in Slabotka. Uh, then he came to Eretz Yisrael in the 20s, late 20s and early 30s, and learned by Ruff Cook, very controversial figure. Then he came to America and opened up Chaim Berlin, Yeshiva's Chaim Berlin, uh, and had to walk back from Ruff Cook to a more Haredi, Lakewood-type approach. And then around 1950, started learning with the Lubavitcher Rebbe, secretly, until the Lubavitcher Rebbe became the Nasi, and then when the Radzina Rebbe came from London to America, to Borough Park, to open up the Radzina Stiebel, he would secretly learn with him. And that phase of his life, he started to become more and more influenced by this kind of Polish Hasidus. Rab Hutner reads on, I've told this to you before, that the, the first Luchas was Torah Shebechsav, the second Luchas was Torah Shebalpeh. This first Luchas going to the Gra. Everything was open. Torah Shibitzav and Torah Shibalpeh were open and light for us. And after the sin of the Egel, the punishment, according to the Gra, of the Torah Shibalpeh, of horroring and struggling in Torah Shibalpeh, was the second Luchos. Rav Hutner picks up on that and says, he elaborates on the virtues of forgetting. The life of the oral Torah begins here. When conscious memory ends, the mind begins to reconstruct. And because of forgetting, a world of interpretation and vital argument springs up. In one of his letters on Pesach, number 40, he writes this to one of his Talmudim. What the people have once seen is immediately forgotten on the death of Moses. 300 laws vanish from the national memory. 
until Osniel ben Kanaz retrieves them through the pilpul. His brilliantly creative interpretations, sometimes the unmaking of Bittel Torah is the fulfillment of Torah. In remembering, one holds on to what one knows. In forgetting, one smashes the icons of the past, making it possible to know differently, to access by a different route what was once simply present. And I always say that the act of learning Torah is an act of remembering, reconstituting that which we forgot, either mystically when we were connected to the divine, the chutz of Kisiyakobot, or according to the Gemara, what we learned by the Malach Laila in the womb. Even rocks can discover their own power of response. The heart is a rock or the heart is a flesh. Rav Hutner puts it like this, the miracle of the rock that produces water includes the miracle of its effects on the human soul. In other words, the most miraculous thing is the movement of the soul in being drawn after God. So the rock is a metaphor for the heart and it's drawing forth the water, the gushing of water. Other images might have served to express the gift of water, heavy rain, deep underground springs, but the imagery of water from a rock has an intimate resonance for those who, before whose eyes it is enacted. It speaks to the possibility of a new, more responsive nature opening within them. What an idea. The heart becomes ossified. It becomes like a stone, but the heart can open and bring forth chesed and water. It's a new possibility, the metaphor of water from the rock. As in a dream or of a reverie, the stony heart gives way to the heart of flesh. A child grows to discover the power of his language through conveyance. And through language, through speaking to the rock, even a rock may be moved from here to there, from jagged dryness to vital flow. This is the joy of which the Maharal wrote when he calls it emuna, as a two-way process of drawing and being drawn. I love that idea of Rav Hutten, and I want to leave you with that thought, that what we've been going through today is not about the pshat of whose fault it was, not about the medievalists who are assigning 10 different sins to Moshe, but as we transform into this mystical notion of a higher and a lower stone, a higher rock and a lowest rock, and that the higher rock has to be spoken to with naimus and kindness and not be struck with like the low. They both produce. The both, the lower one produce tipin tipin, and you have to horror and steig and argue and machloikas. But we hope for the day when the Torah Shebichsav becomes enlightened with the upper rock, the rock of light, the heart of flesh. And in our own lives, I think that the same thing applies. <laughs> Very often we're so filled with resentment, our hearts become ossified and crustaceous and don't produce anything except tipin tipin with a lot of resentment. And so we pray that we learn from the rock that yesh even be yesh even. There are yesh seller be yesh seller. That we should all be zoicha to be open to the guiding light of the Torah that comes from Malchus of the Shechina, from a level of godless. Have a wonderful week.